Awesome. Hey, so um, over the past couple of weeks, we've been in this series uh, called Come, Comeback Stories. As we've come back into our physical locations for our in-person gatherings, we're not just talking about coming back together. We're looking at scripture and exploring some of the amazing comeback stories that we find there of when situations just seem bleak, all hope seems lost, but then God in his grace and his love and his power is able to just turn around situations in the most incredible ways. We're intentionally zeroing, on, zeroing in on the fact that this is a core part of who God is. He is a God of redemptive power, which means that he turns situations around that look dead and he can bring new life. Not just situations that look dead, but that actually are dead. Resurrection power is defined as life where there was death. This is who God is. We celebrate Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, who after three days in the tomb was raised to life by the power of God. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us as followers of Jesus Christ. That's what scripture declares. So we're wanting to, I guess, align our thinking and our our hearts with these amazing truths as we step into 2022 and the uncertainty that that obviously involves. We may all know to a certain degree what different things are gonna be part of the journey this year. But we also know from the past couple of years that there are likely to be curveballs, unexpected situations, and things that just come out of nowhere. We want to be prepared to respond to those situations in faith, knowing the truth of who God is and trusting that he can do what only he can do. So uh, today we're going to dig into another amazing comeback story um, from the Old Testament. And this is the story of Moses. Moses uh, was an amazing man. I found a couple of pictures. There's the classic Charlton Heston Moses on the left and the classic Simpsons Moses on the right. (laughs) When you Google Moses, they're two of the top ones that come up as images. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interestingly holding the same pose. There we go. What what does it all mean? But um, again, I I suspect that Moses probably wasn't um, as pale-skinned as Charlton Heston or as yellow-skinned as Simpsons characters tend to be as a Middle Eastern uh, individual, but there we go. But again, Moses uh, is an incredible story, again, of God's grace, of God's power, of God's heart for his people. The book of Exodus, where we read about Moses, it, uh, it, it begins where Genesis leaves off. God's people, the Israelites, were living in Egypt. And although generations before God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would give them their own land to live in, that promise had not yet been fulfilled. The Israelites had relocated to Egypt to survive the great famine in the time of Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob. And we read this in Exodus chapter 1, verse 6, that Joseph and all his brothers and that generation had died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. 
They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. It's a pretty grim picture at this point. And the king of Egypt's plan to further weaken or reduce the Israelite people, it took an even darker twist when he put in force a decree whereby every Israelite boy that was born was to be killed. And the question that's provoked in our minds as, as readers as we begin the book of Exodus is what will God do to rescue his people and continue his great plan for redeeming all of creation and all of humanity through them? What is God going to do in response to this incredibly significant setback? And straight away, the narrative jumps to the birth of baby Moses. We read in the start of chapter 2 that a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. As the story unfolds, what happens is that Pharaoh's daughter goes on to essentially adopt Moses. Moses is raised within Pharaoh's household as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And you know, though God is not specifically mentioned within these verses, we're meant to see evidence of his providence in the way that baby Moses didn't just escape Pharaoh's campaign of infanticide, but Moses was actually raised as the son of Pharaoh's own daughter. We, we kind of look at that and go, well, that's not just a coincidence. We see and believe that the hand of God was at work here to begin raising up a deliverer, to begin putting in motion a plan to deliver his people from slavery and oppression. Incidentally, when we read this story and it mentions that he was put in a papyrus basket, it's a really fascinating little word in the Hebrew that's actually only used in one other point in all of the Bible. It's the same Hebrew word which is used to describe the ark that Noah built earlier in Genesis. Interesting, eh? And so what? Well, it's an interesting little detail, but that link straight away to the story raises some sense of expectation that just as God worked amazingly through Noah to preserve a people for himself and respond to the crisis on planet Earth at that time, now here in the nation of Egypt through this little baby, God was similarly at work to begin putting in place a plan to deliver his people and further his purposes. I like little details like that. Sorry. <laughs> and so Moses grew up within the palace of Pharaoh. He enjoyed every privilege that went along with that. But the picture that's established for us of Moses is of him retaining some sense of his Israelite identity despite speaking the Egyptian language, wearing the Egyptian clothes, enjoying all the Egyptian privileges. There's a sense that he was able to maintain some link to his biological family, even as he grew. 
And can I just say as a little aside that, you know, retaining a clear sense of our identity as sons and daughters of the Most High God is of such importance in these days. You know, we are living in a culture that increasingly is not encouraging us necessarily to align our lives, our thoughts, and our hearts with God and his purposes. So it's incredibly important that we take responsibility and say, God, I don't want to be pulled away in different directions. I want my life to be grounded more than anything else in the truth of your word, the truth of what you say about me as your son, as your daughter. So Moses is kind of growing up with this tension of the world that he's living in that's normal for him, but also this nagging sense that that these are not my people. These these Egyptian people that I'm surrounded by every day, my people are suffering over here. The story continues in verse 11. It says, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and he watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, it's repeated, looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. One of the benefits of being in a very sandy nation, you can just dig a hole pretty quickly. The next day he went out and he saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and he thought, what I did must have become known. Didn't dig deep enough. Hey, I don't know. (laughs) But when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. So suddenly everything changes for Moses. We have the sense, again, that as he grew in Pharaoh's palace, Moses knew about the struggles of his own people, the sufferings that they continued to endure. And he had to wrestle with those feelings of pain at the treatment he saw being dished out to them. And I think as well, he probably had to wrestle with some sense of guilt or or questioning of God. Like, God, my people are suffering. They're your people, God, who are suffering. Why do I get such preferential treatment? Why have you put me here, God, in the palace? What am I meant to do about all this? And then one day, it's kind of like he snaps. He can't bottle up inside himself any longer. All those feelings, he sees this Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and he lashes out and he kills him. Now Moses is then left with no other option but to flee for his life from Pharaoh. He runs away to the wilderness of Midian, leaving behind his comfortable life leaving behind any sense of feeling called to do something about the plight of his people. He tried, he'd failed, he was now out in the wilderness. So what do we see in in Moses' story that, that somehow speaks to our own setbacks, our own crisis points in life where it seems like all hope is lost, where it feels like we've tried but we failed and now we're just, we're a million miles away from where we used to be and where we wanna be. What do we do? Well, I love the simple truth in the story of Moses that in God, we can come back from error and failure. Hallelujah. In God, we can come back from failure. We, we all fail, don't we? We do. 
and, and there's this tremendous potential that when we fail and we reflect on our failure, we, we can feel so often that failure is so terminal. We're like, oh, I failed. I'm so useless. I'm so terrible. I'm a horrible person. And I guess this must mean that God has probably given up on me too. But the story of Moses so powerfully shows us that in God, we can come back from even the most drastic of failures in our lives. Now, as I've mentioned over the past weeks, you know, some of the setbacks we encounter in life have nothing at all to do with our own choices. Some of the toughest times we experience in our lives are brought about by the choices that other people make that affect us. Other setbacks or, or trials are, are no one's fault at all, really. They're just the result of living in a messed up, broken, fallen world. We think of having cancer or other massive illness to face. Who's responsible for that? It's just a horrible sickness that is part of the fact that we are living in this world. It's no one's fault. But is that a setback? It's a massive setback, a massive trial to endure. Absolutely. In God, there is hope. No matter what we face, no matter who's responsible or if no one's responsible in God, we can have a comeback. But there are some setbacks that we encounter in life that are self-inflicted to a large degree. Setbacks that are the results of bad decisions that we've made ourselves. And this was certainly true of Moses. You know, it may surprise you, but I've actually made a few bad calls of my own over the years. In my personal life, in my work life, all over the show. You know, any year of my life, I've made some bad calls from time to time. I think I've, I've shared with you guys um, one of the, the, the first bad calls I ever made in church ministry was back in 2002 when I was a shiny new intern. Oh, and I was so enthusiastic and excited about serving Jesus. And it was wonderful. And the first task I was given was to install a data projector in our church auditorium. Oh, such responsibility. And so I proceeded with it, managed to attach this data projector to the roof, found a computer, ran a cable. Woohoo, we can project song words through the magic of the computer and the data projector. It was so powerful. What I completely failed to recognize was that there'd been an amazing team of volunteers who for years had faithfully served the church through projecting the song words on the overhead transparencies. Remember the overhead projectors? Yeah. And so through just plowing ahead with this job, I'd upset a whole lot of people. They were really grumpy. And I felt terrible. Again, it was not an intentional thing. It was just a massive oversight. I was like, how stupid, of course I should have thought about that. Oh, I'm, and, and my response was just to go, oh, maybe I'm not cut out for ministry. Maybe I'm just the worst intern that any church has ever had. And oh, there's, I've, I've failed and there's no coming back from this. It, it's over. They're going to start a petition. I'll probably get me kicked out of the church. And they won't like the data projector. It'll be pulled down and the pitchforks will be out. and It'll be all on. Thankfully, I had people around me who could say, look, cheer up. <laughs> It'll be okay. Make it right. Apologize, all those kind of things. But it's not the end. Failure is not the end of the story. But we can allow it to be the full stop where God only ever intends that it would be a comma. See, Moses stuffed up. He got it wrong. He acted rashly. He allowed his emotions to rule. He killed a guy. 
Seriously. It's more than just upsetting a few volunteers on the OHP roster. He killed a guy. And for a long time, Moses was out in the wilderness tending the sheep. The subjugation of the Israelite people in Egypt continued during this time, but it would seem that Moses had given up on any sense of being able to do something about that. After all, he was a failure. But God had not forgotten about the suffering of his people in Egypt. And God had not forgotten about Moses either. And God had not given up on Moses being part of his plan. There's a beautiful way in which this is reflected within the text of Exodus. See, right at the end of chapter 2 of Exodus, it says that during that long period, the king of Egypt died, the Israelites groaned in their slavery, cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. That's how chapter two ends and how amazing to be reminded that even though we endure things that last for a long time, far longer than we would ever want, that God hears our cry. He is mindful of our situation. He has not forgotten about you, but he has already begun putting in motion a plan to bring about deliverance and healing and restoration. And then chapter three begins and straight away it jumps to Moses. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So after the summary statement of how God's people are still suffering so much and God's attentiveness to their plight, the text jumps back to Moses out in the wilderness, a long way away geographically from what is going on in Egypt, but very much on God's radar God miraculously appears to Moses in this burning bush. And what is God's message to Moses when he gets his attention? Moses, I came all this way to remind you that you're a failure. Ah, thank you, Lord. Yes, you're right. Moses, I came all this way to tell you you had your shot, but you blew it. You'll never amount to anything more than leading sheep through the wilderness, Moses. Of course, that's not what God says. God reiterates his desire to see Moses take up a central role in the deliverance of his people from captivity. How amazing to be reminded that God doesn't give up on us. Even though we fail and we get things so wrong so often, in him we can come back from error and failure, even the most spectacular of them. Moses came back from that failure to lead the people out of captivity, the great deliverer. Can I encourage you this morning, let the truth minister of that minister to your soul today, because we all fail, as we know. But the truth that God does not, has not, will never give up on you, how powerful is that and how much we need to know that in our hearts. You know, if I say if you fail, when you become aware of your failure, and especially if it affects other people, can I encourage you, apologize. Take responsibility again for your mistakes. Accept whatever consequences there may be for the decisions that we've made. You know, just because God has an amazing comeback for us doesn't mean there aren't still gonna be consequences for the choices we've made. But God gives us the grace to walk through those consequences. 
And we can always know that even if there are consequences in the natural, God's love remains unchanged for us. He is faithful in every season. We do what we can to make things right where others have been wronged. But we know that God hasn't given up on us. Maybe you've tried and you've failed in the past and you've ruled yourself out of being able to do anything of any great significance or substance with even a passion that you feel in your heart. See, Moses cared about the plight of his people, yet despite that, he'd just given up on it and gone, I can't do anything about that because I'm a failure. Maybe that resonates with you this morning. But just like God didn't give up on Moses, God has not given up on you. Our financial messes don't rule us out of being used by God. Failed marriage, failed at school, failed in my career path, failed in pursuing my dreams. Whatever the failure looks like, it's not a full stop in God unless we let it. It's not God who says it's a full stop. He says it's a pause in the story and I want you to know that I'm with you and there is a way forward for you. There can be restoration. There can be a comeback, even from failure. The last thing I love in the story of Moses is that it also shows us that we can come back from self-doubt. You know, self-doubt can be crippling in so many ways. If I don't think I've got anything of value to add, then I'm not going to believe that, that God could ever have any kind of plan to use me to be a blessing to someone else. See, self-doubt can cause us to settle for so much less than the life of freedom and purpose that Jesus intends for us. And the setbacks that we face in life are always going to hold the potential to reinforce within us scars of self-doubt where we can question what we have, question our usefulness to God or to anyone else. Before we can come back from those kind of situations, God, by his spirit, needs to do something within our hearts to deal with that self-doubt. Now, understandably, given his previous failures, Moses struggled to believe that he could ever be used by God for anything significant. When God comes to him in the burning bush and says, Moses, my plan is for you to lead this people of mine out of captivity and out of slavery, not once, not twice, not three times, but four times Moses responds to what God was saying with words of self-doubt. The first thing Moses says is, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Like, who am I, God? I've, I can't do that. I've, I haven't got what it takes. Who am I, God? And then God responds to him. And then Moses comes back in in chapter four. Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? Like no one's gonna listen to me, God. God speaks again. And then Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Like I don't have what it takes, God. God speaks again, and I love this last one that Moses comes out with. Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Like, that's really rock bottom. So God, I've tried to be kind of, you know, a little bit nice about this, but really just find someone else, God. And there is a sense in the story that God's getting a little bit ticked off with Moses, going, mate, can you not just get it? I've chosen you. I love you. You're my guy. Can you get that into your head and your heart? But Moses was struggling to allow that into his head and heart because of all this self-doubt. I've often thought when reading about Moses is that he asks the question, who am I? And as a reader, I think, who are you? Who are you? Like, who better than you? 
Like you grew up in Egypt. You speak the language and you're familiar with the people. You've got family connections. And that's the sadness and the tragedy of self-doubt is that where we can feel that we've got nothing to offer, but other people looking from the outside can go, dude, it's a no-brainer that you're the man for this situation. It's a no-brainer that you're the woman that God has raised up for such a time as this. And this to me highlights again why we need other people around us in our lives. We need a small group of people who can speak into our lives and call out the potential that they see in us that God has put there, especially when we can't see that ourselves. When we, like Moses, are going, oh, who am I? I don't know. I'd love to apply for this job, but who am I? I mean, I don't really feel like I've got anything to add. We need people who can say, dude, get your act together. You have what it takes for this. I believe in you. I believe God has put inside of you exactly what is needed to be a blessing. Apply for that job. We speak words of life and hope to one another. We can often see in one another what God has put there more than we can see it in ourselves. Don't do the journey alone in 2022, eh? Commit to gathering regularly with others where we can be a community who encourage one another. As we all grapple with self-doubt in our personal worlds, in our professional capacity, whatever it is, we need other people's perspective and the voice of the Spirit through the encouragement of the body of Christ. Hmm. Moses eventually got on God's program. said, all right then, somewhat reluctantly, but okay, God. It's okay to be a reluctant obeyer. Obeyer? That's not a word. Sounds like Wikipedia. A reluctant obeyer. We can think, oh, I'm riddled with such doubt and stuff. As long as you're obeying and stepping out, it doesn't matter what's going on inside of you, you're stepping out. (laughs) Please don't allow the enemy to kind of deceive you into thinking that you can't have any expectation of God moving through you because I'm not 100% sure if God could do anything through me. Just step out and trust and see what God can do. God's word to Moses was, what's in your hand, Moses? Oh, I've got a shepherd's staff. I've got this stick. And that stick didn't seem like anything significant, but God, the power of God flowed through Moses and that stick, that stick became a central part of the ongoing story of parting the Red Sea, of bringing water from the rock in the wilderness. These miraculous things that happened, it just began with God saying to Moses, what's in your hand? We often belittle what is in our hand, what we know about ourselves, what skills or abilities we have, what background we've been through. We go, it's just a stick. It's just a stick. But when we make what is in our hand available to God, there's no telling what he can do with it. It's not just about you and your stick. It's about being available to God and saying, Lord, if you could use Moses and his failure with a simple stick in his hand to be such a blessing to so many people, God, I'll just make available to you what I have in my hand and in my life. And God, would you just somehow use me to be a blessing to others wherever I may be and wherever I may go.